Any questions? Yes, Lori. As a pastor, mm-hmm. and um, you speak often of this being a unity versus division, and that we're not in the business of constructing barriers. And 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 you read baptism, the elements, the age of the earth, Calvinism, Arminism, eternal security, spiritual gifts, time of the rapture. Those are all things that different people have different views of. Mm-hmm. So. My question would be for you as our pastor, and you stated, you know, in five years, I'm not going to be performing a gay marriage. But if you have two gay or lesbian people in this fellowship, how do you, how do you address that? Because many will say, I love Jesus and I accept him as Lord and Savior. So I, it's like to me, there, there has to be a line there has to be a a place where yes there are barriers there are things that we must say as believers in the true truth of the word of god and when we say you, you know you stated that this is all this is they have a high view of god and the bible is the word which is god and so I believe I have a high view of God, but a lot of people do. And they believe that what they think is right is right. So as a church body, in order to form a healthy, governed church body where we don't compromise, how do we do that? Well, we can go to, this, we can go to the second one, just the last sentence on the second item here. It says... Uh, you know, it is to be believed in all that it teaches, obeyed in all that it requires, and trusted in all that it promises. Uh, it's kind of kind of apples and oranges here. First of all, there there is no statement in the uh, statement of faith on uh, sexuality and marriage. You know, that's not even ad- addressed in in the statement of faith. So that that doesn't mean it's not important. That doesn't mean that it's you know we're not going to see sin for what it is and we're not going to call sin for what it is if we have two people who are who come into our church and they are sinning I would treat that the same way I would any other sin I would treat that the same way I would treat a couple who are cohabitating and uh, engaging in a different form of sexual sin I would not say well you know we're we're going to embrace everybody whether it's in obedience or not, you know, it's, it's, it's a different issue. This is not a matter of uh, obedience. It's not a matter of something that's clearly spilled out in, in commands. You know, our, our millennial view, our eschatological view is, is formed by taking, you know, a, a heap of information and, and putting it together and, and harmonizing passages. And, you know, it's, it's something where people of equal maturity and and I forget I forget all the the words you know. I would I would did did I answer your question? Um, the question continues though is like, be, I mean you stated clearly that this is a secondary, a secondary, 
and and Israel and the position of Israel in the church is important mm-hmm. in 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 my thinking. Oh, I, it is. And and so as you address it, when you state, well, we want a broader view. Don't we want a biblical, broad view? And so, and you stated, you are premillennial, you would teach that here, and this change in the vote wouldn't require it. But what it does require is for future pastors and, and evangelical free churches to go the other way, choose a different view. No. It requires that pastor to embrace and sign in agreement. The, the agreement is that it's, it's not that, you know, I have to be amillennial and I need to teach amillennialism. Right, you don't. It's... But the E-Free Church as a whole in the future does. No, no. It's just, it just opens it up. It, it allows more latitude. It allows more autonomy for the individual church. Um the pastor does have to agree with that this statement of faith. Yeah, but that pastor can hold whatever view that pastor has as as his conviction. Now, it's up to the church to decide whether you want to call that pastor or not. So you, you know, something happens to me, you're interviewing pastors, you ask that pastor about his view on, you know, what's his millennial view and he says, "Oh, I'm post-millennialist. Uh, things are going to get better and better, and we're going to usher in the kingdom of God. And you know, uh, 99.9% of the world is is going to be converted. Probably, this church would say, "Let's look at the next person." Right. And and a, and have a attitude of, "Well, I'm just pan trib. It'll pan out, however it does." To me, no, I reject that view. Yeah, because I feel like the key is that we're we are known for teaching the word, and it is a narrow road and a narrow gate, and so there will be barriers to a world that wants God to be um, make room for everything, and that's just my concern. That's what I feel like. You know, we can't we can call this secondary, and yet. It's still biblical because it's addressing the issue of Israel and the role of the church. Well, you know, even within premillennialism, even within dispensationalism, the way the Jews are, are handled are there. There are differences. You know, which which premillennialism are, are you talking about? You know, that's which which theory do you, do we say? Okay, we'll divide over this. Yes. course, um, I agree with everything that you said, you know, personally, in terms of fellowship or acknowledging that someone is saved, loves the Lord, um, I think we would all agree with that. Um, so perhaps I'll put another hypothetical out of it so you can see how this is not as easy as you might think. So for example, here in this church, I guess whatever pastor you hire is going to primarily teach that view. You might have a forum where you allow other views to be discussed and debated and taught, but generally 
you would teach the view that you espouse. But denominationally, it's not that easy. For example, would we have a district conference? And other than if we set it up and said, okay, we're going to have a um, free-for-all debate time of the three views of eschatology, everybody would be down with that, and it would be interesting and educational. But would we ever have a pastor stand up at district conference and preach post-millennialism passionately We could say, well, we'll do that as a matter of freedom and permission. But when 99% of the people don't really hold that view and he's trying to explain to us how the world is on a positive trajectory. um, My fear is that will happen is that we'll end up not preaching any of the views because we allow for all of them to have equal standing. So other than a theoretical debate between the three, my fear is that we will tend to not emphasize anything in particular at our, at our corporate meetings, our district meetings, and even nationally. It's hard for me to imagine a, a preacher getting up there and preaching premillennialism like a ball of fire, knowing that it's going to be... Yeah. Um, so that, so that the, the getting along... Sounds good and theoretically, I mean, personally, it's doable. But in, but it's not about personal relationships and our dinners and stuff. It's about who teaches authoritatively in our pul- or authoritatively in our pulpits and what they say. And my fear is that rather than allowing more freedom in this area, I fear what it will actually do is silence a particular view ever being stated publicly because it will be, by definition, offensive. Unless you, unless you always equivocate and say, of course there are other views and they're good too, or you're welcome here. So um, I think the, the decades will play it out, but that, that's my concern. Um, are, are there further questions for Tim? Do you want to step down from the hot seat or stay up there? And get, uh, well, I, I can stay and, yeah. and answer any questions you want. But, uh, okay. yeah, I think I think we could – oh, Teresa. Uh, I'm sorry. Let, actually, I'm before – Teresa, first let me let me uh, address okay. this okay. before taking your question. You know, there, there are these other issues, you know, the uh, sovereignty of God versus man's responsibility. That is a huge one. You know, you could say the same thing. Well, if we, you know, if we don't put that in this statement of faith, then we we cannot have passionate uh, debates. You know that that we our, our view will be diluted. People will be afraid to talk about that. You know, that's that's one of those other very 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 important issues. I would I would not put that issue any lower than than this one. But it is under that uh, category of of the significance of, of silence. Go ahead, Teresa.
I, th- I think that um, the, the the Bible scholars who uh, would would hold these other views would uh, feel otherwise. They they would feel. Well, I, I mean, just just so uh, everybody who, if this is being recorded, so Teresa was raising the question about amillennialism and uh, that it requires a allegorical biblical worldview, um, and that was your concern, right? That that in of itself is a is a dangerous thing. So I don't think an amillennialist would consider themselves to to be doing that. By the way, <laughs> um, you know, even even Paul. Well, uses allegory. He even uses the Greek word allegory. Okay, to talk about. Uh, go ahead. So Teresa was saying that it's plain language understanding of scripture is the best interpretation and allegorization is basically saying we can't understand it. Therefore, we need to say we can't understand it, um, something to that effect. So we, we're just going to not understand it and we're going to say that it's figurative if we're allegorizing, right? Exactly. That's, that's and I w- from I would, a literal I, w- I would agree with that. I think that... Uh, Many of our amillennial brothers would would agree with that as well. Yes, Don. <laughs> well, the first time I didn't get—is this on? Yeah. Okay. The first time I didn't get to even ask a question, things went on, and it looks like things are going on. So I'm insisting on getting my question in. Are we a denomination? or an association, is Christ the head of the church or is the body uh, equal and uh, not to be ruled by Christ? Uh, these kind of things are in my mind because what right does a national have to insist that the divisions, what's our, our, we're the Rocky Mountain, why do they must insist that the church is there all in the banding together in that little district, believe in any kind of millennialism can be preached. In other words, why did they insist the churches can have their statements? We're free to have our own statement here. Why does a district have to be overridden by the national if we're not a, a denomination? the district is is the face of the denomination for most people's experience for the churches interfacing with us um, it's at that level that our corporate identity is communicated and even enforced if you want to say that um, if, if it, 
It, well, but if the districts can't uniformly support the statement of faith of the denomination, our denomination will just fall down like a house of cards. So, I mean, that totally makes sense. And, of course, as has been said before, it's not like the National Board of Directors decided this and are just ramming it down the throat of all the districts. This happened at a national conference of delegates from all our churches and all our district passed this. Um, the, the rub is, is that it's not true in our district until we say it's so. So it's not like we're necessarily ratifying the national decision. That will never be changed. It's not up for grabs. What our vote does do is enable us to continue as one of the districts of the EFCA or not. And if we don't pass it at the district level, um, then our district will not be accepted as part of the association. Well, so says some, right? But it's it's um, the stakes are really high, which is why we're taking the trouble to discuss all this tedious information. Um, so um, there are 17 districts, and they're all having this vote this year. I think most of them have taken the vote, but um, you are clear on that, that as a local church, you can retain the statement that you already have. But at the district corporate level, we are required to have a vote. And if we vote yes and adopt the new statement of faith, everything's fine. It's just over as far as our relationship with the national office. But if we fail to pass it, there will have to be future communication about what that means, and it will be complicated. The percent vote, um, our Constitution requires a 75% vote to change our corporate articles, and the Statement of Faith is one of those articles. So it's a pretty high threshold. Yeah. Um, we probably have about 26 churches now because um, normally we had 28, but we had two drop out last year. So I think it's about 26. Um, so, so there is a lot of liberty, um, and you'll discuss this at your business meeting next week more, I think. But some of the churches are wrestling with the idea of, you know, do we as a church stay where we are with a statement of faith that we prefer, which is maybe the 1950 version or a 2008 version, but still allow liberty at the district level and pass it there so that our district stays intact, and it just depends on how strongly you feel about it. Um, so we do that all the time in our families and at work. You know, there's things that you feel really strongly about, but you just have to think about, does this rise to the level where I cause grief for my family or for my company by drawing a line? And uh, that's just a matter of conscience, actually. Um, that's part of what you're working out. Okay, Santa, and then Lori after you. Okay. I'll try to keep it simple. I'm just trying to understand. Okay. So the way I read it, for 69 years, they decided that it was okay to use the word pre-millennial. I can't even pronounce it. <laughs> they decided to use the word. And then they said, now there's people that have different views, the one that's ah, and the one that's post. I understand that everybody has a right to their own choice. 
So was the main reason that they changed this because they thought they couldn't get certain preachers in because they didn't have that view? And this way they can get preacher with each of the views. Or was it congregation that didn't have that view? They were being omitted. Well, this, this was decided by the uh, voting delegates from, from all the churches. Uh, 79% voted for it. Um, you know, Lee, you could probably give your, your opinion on what the motivation was. Yeah, I don't think the motivation was to recruit new people that have been disqualified. What's been happening is that even in our free churches, um, we have people who love our churches and want to be part of it, but they just have a hard time with that one particular issue. So in many of our congregations, they're taking in memories, I'm sorry, members, and putting an asterisk by that article as they sign for membership. And, and it's just been allowed at the local church level. It's also been a struggle at the seminary level, although they are not the drivers of it. But I think what has happened is in our denomination or association, there are enough people who feel like even though they are premillennial, they're uncomfortable with making it as a requirement for all the reasons that Tim gave. And so it's we, it's our family saying in a majority vote, Let's 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 not insist on that. It's too particular in the scope of all the things that historically Christians have said are sound doctrine and things that we must adhere to. In our own denomination, we're, we have said in a national vote, we don't feel like this rises to that level, and so it passed. So what it means is we've changed as a family um, about the weight that we're going to put on that one. And so, but that's many people. It's not every single person. So, I mean, I'm articulating the other side. Um, and there are pastors and there are churches that are like, really? Wait, what? Um, and that's what we're all wrestling with. So it's a great thing to wrestle with because you have to come to a conclusion ultimately because we have to have a vote. We're going to have a vote on May 7th at the district level about this. How many churches in our district voted for that requirement? Okay. Let's see. At the national vote? Yeah, just out of our district. I would say less than half of our churches were represented there in How many how many churches free churches in our district yeah voted in favor of the new amillennialism? No, they're not voting for amillennialism. That's that's not what the vote Yeah. Um, please clarify that. I will. At the National Conference in Chicago in twenty nineteen, I would say less than half of our churches were represented there as delegates, and I have no idea how they voted. I have no idea. I have no idea. 
But the thing is, at a national conference, imagine nationwide we have 1,200 plus churches, each of whom could legally send a minimum of three delegates and some of them five or six, plus all the credentialed ministers can vote at every level. Um, You didn't have everybody there voting because not everybody goes to a national conference. You have to take the trouble to pay a lot of money and take days off to work to, to go to Chicago. So we'll just say it was a sampling and a legal and probably adequate sampling. But obviously a lot of people couldn't possibly be there. I have one, one other comment. Yeah, I, I personally am not in favor of it, but that being said, I don't see why this should be a divisive issue in our church. I don't know of anybody you know, you know, that I've talked to that, that has a problem you know, with premillennialism. You know. mm-hmm. yeah, it just doesn't seem like it should be a problem. Okay, right. Lori, is that working? Is it working? Yeah. It is. Uh, so I, I think that's a question for Lee. Um, on the way here, my 10-year-old daughter said, what is this meaning about? Can you answer that question for me? <laughs> yeah, it's about the word of God. It's about unity versus division and the word of God. Absolutely. Because that's in the word of God. <laughs> um, I, I would like to answer that question because I saw a great movie um, okay. not too long ago that talked about that. And the chairman of the board is having a 4 a.m. meeting with all these, all these department heads and they're scared to death because they're about to be fired. And the chairman says, uh, okay, tell me about this problem, but talk to me as a little child or maybe a golden retriever. Okay. I get that reference. So, in my opinion, this is, this is about um, a change to the way we are going to establish our own fence in our yard. Um, and it's been established at the national level, and we are, we are losing a certain amount of rights in that process about how we're going to define our yard. But in the end, uh, we will still do whatever we want in our yard as a church. Future churches... Um, and then groups of churches will be affected by this is, is defining what we are going to look like. Is that accurate? Okay, it's a yard, and there's dog poop in the yard. But that's not the main point of the story. Okay. Um, I, I would like to address it. I didn't address this last time, so if you'll bear with me, I'd like to talk for maybe five minutes. Um, I, I would... I would respectfully disagree that it's about unity, um, mostly because uh, e-free churches are made up of members who are actually voting members who have signed the statement of faith or agree to the statement of faith of the local church, etc. cetera. Um, but we have always been a mix. In fact, if you look at most e-free churches, they're mostly non-members. There are people who are affiliating just like any other church. They just don't want to be encumbered by membership. And it's maybe a Western thing or uh, a guy thing. I don't know. We just don't want to become members, right? I mean, we've all struggled with it. Um, why, would, why would we become a member? But the truth is membership is, by definition, giving you the right to contribute to the governance of the body. You are now somebody who's going to be a voting member and is also going to be responsible, saying, I'll be responsible to my body and to my pastor. You're not just voting with your feet. You're voting with you know, ballots, and you're actually a stakeholder. So the change to the statement of faith, to me, 
is basically saying um, at the national level, for whatever reasons, uh, I mean, whether they are trying to be more inclusive as, as, as groups of churches or whether it was sinister, it doesn't even matter. The point is that they are changing the statement of faith at a, at a, in a way that essentially equates the different eschatological views. It says that essentially by eliminating the premillennial word out of there, they're saying amillennialism, postmillennialism, premillennialism are on equal footing doctrinally and biblically. The problem I have with that is that particularly amillennialism and postmillennialism, they require a, a biblical view, a paradigm that is allegorical in nature. You, you basically have to say, I can't figure this out. It's really hard for me to figure this out, and I don't think we could figure it out. Therefore, my view of interpreting, for example, Revelation 20, you know, we're going to reign with a th- for a thousand years with Christ. When they think a thousand years is unto a day, therefore we don't really know, and and we just sort of push it off to the side as unimportant, that is in itself telling us when, when the National Association is saying these are all equal views, accepting that worldview, that Bible view, tells us that leaders and members who are going to vote who hold that view have an equal footing. But I would propose to you that I don't think that that's good for the church. And I think that pretty much what it does is it allows things like, well, replacement theology, which is accompanying amillennialism and postmillennialism. Calvinism is also tied to that as becoming equal um, with a premillennial worldview. And I'm not going to say that I have it all figured out. I, I don't know where I fit in the four subdivisions of premillennialism. But I do know that I want to take a literal biblical view of things, and I think most of us do. So I would prefer that we retain our original quality and character of taking that worldview and embracing anybody who comes through the door. We, we don't exclude anyone on the basis of fellowship. No one. And I don't think anyone here would. A Calvinist, uh, you know, a millennialist doesn't matter. When I was in Haiti, I served with Mennonites. I served with Catholics. I served with Presbyterians. I served with Assembly of God people. I mean, we would never in the mission field, you, me, anyone, ever say, oh, I can't be with you because you're a Calvinist, or I can't be with you because you believe that the Eucharist is actually literally the body of Christ. No, it's not true. We keep fellowship. This is just about saying, this is our fence. This is who we believe we are. We believe this is the correct worldview, but we don't exclude anyone. We just don't want leadership to develop within our church or within our district that would hold that worldview and at some point equate their their Bible interpretation as being the authentic way of doing it or equal with ours. We just want to say we're distinctive. That's all. So that's my view, and I think it's significant that we would allow this to happen and not say, hey, um, let's just be different and agree to be different and call it at that. So we can be unified believing that we understand things correctly, even though they think they understand things correctly, and not be divided. It's just a matter of preference, of saying we're going to be distinct in these things. So that's my attempt at explaining 
my view. Did I accomplish yours? Okay, good. Uh, as it's written in our church, yeah. If if someone came to us and said, I'm good with a statement of faith. I want to become a member. I believe in Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. I've been baptized. I put my full faith and trust in him, but I'm kind of struggling with this premillennial thing. I'd say, well, but this is our statement of faith. So it's hard, but yeah, that, that is a distinctive for us. So distinctives matter, not because we have to be right, but because... We can continue to have fellowship, but I don't know if we want to have a statement of faith, then allow people to come in to change that statement of faith because they believe differently later on, if that makes any sense to you. Okay, first Joan, then Teresa. I agree with everything he said. Um I think we, we keep talking about the term refusing fellowship, and I think that's a poor term to use. What we're talking about is yoking ourselves with congregations and pastors and an association that, like he said, all three positions are equal. Um, so I think we need to really look at that. We, You know, like he said, we can... I love my Catholic friends. I love my Mormon friends. I, you know, I'm not refusing fellowship. I'm saying this is who we are. This decision moves the boundary stones. When we join this church, this is who we are. Now they're changing that to make us something different. Yeah, it is. When we are... Well, let me tell you a little bit of a story. I grew up in a Reformed church, Calvinistic and amillennial. We never heard anything, any prophecy from the pulpit simply because much of the church was premillennial, pre-trib rapture, along with my family. Um, like Lee said, when you have different people, whether in the local church or in the district, who have a variety of positions, you end up not preaching with confidence your position. When we, Pete and I, moved back and joined my Reformed Church again and struggled for a long time because although when I was a kid growing up, it was the silence. We agree to disagree. Nobody's fighting with each other. We love each other. However, by the time we moved back, um, the last straw was when the denomination adopted a position that Christian Zionists, who you could say we were, anybody, any Christian who supports Israel, were the blocking, were blocking peace in the Middle East. So that was, that was our final line. I think we're, we're talking about lines here we have we have to decide who we are as a church as a local church where is our line defining a line does not make does not mean we're not willing to fellowship with people on the who have um, on all millennial point of view it means that well this is who we are and we love you but if you want to join us and be yoked with us then you, this is who we are. And so you sign on to 
to our point of view. So I strongly believe that, I mean, I was shocked to hear last week, I did not realize that in 2008 they removed imminent from the statement of faith. In my point of view, we, we expect Jesus to, could come any minute. That's imminent. Why did they remove that? I think I see a slippery slope and and ultimately oh, this is my last point um, there are consequences um, when we in my mind diffuse instead of laser focus our light doing this is like we're diffusing we're being softer which um, a lot of people equate that to being loving I believe standing for truth is loving. That there, it's not an either or; it's a both and. This, we, in looking at the context, you didn't think I was going to talk this long. Um, in understanding the times, we live in a season. If you didn't know, anti-Semitism is on the rise like crazy. Um, we, Israel, is under attack like crazy. In my mind, I want to be on God's people's side. And I don't want to there to I don't want to um play any games with that. So to me this is obvious. It's a dissipation of a clear biblical stand for truth and who we are as God's people. Um I had another point, but it left my mind, and I'm sure you'll be happy for me. Okay. Teresa. As you know, I have attended here for quite a few years now, and only recently joined because I worked through how my feelings and beliefs worked, and I was willing that this church body here decided because this was where I was going to attend. This is the place I wanted to join. And if I was not going to be in agreement with everything, then I wouldn't have asked for membership. This is That's part of the condition of being a member of a local body. This is where I am at home. This is my family now. And I have never felt unwelcome here because of where I did not necessarily know if I had come to the same complete understanding of what I was reading in the Statement of Faith. I waited until I knew for sure, with all the nuances, that I could accept it and be in agreement and then be a member. I think that the church has, the local church should have the right to make those statements. Oh, yeah, I would absolutely agree that the local church has the right to, uh, to make that decision. And I think this this local church has made that decision. I don't believe that uh, adopting the new statement of faith changes that. It affects other people, really, other churches. It affects somebody who who may want to uh, to join us as a member. And I the the reason I added the word full to that is full fellowship. I think I would probably equate that. Uh, Joan, to what you're saying about being yoked, full fellowship. You know, do we do we deny that to somebody who maybe 
does have a little different view on it, on this on this one secondary issue. Go ahead. I'll make it quick, I promise. Well, quickish. So, Joan, I love you, but this is part of that discussion you were talking about that you want people to have. So, um, just real quick, just so you know, the elder board has split three and three on this. So I, I align myself with, with Tim. I'm a premillennial, but I believe this is a minor issue. Just a couple quick points. Everybody should have a handout with uh, scripture from Lee. Particularly look at the scripture on the bottom, Mark 1, 14 and 15. So several times now the point has been made that if you are not a strict premillennial, you don't take scripture literally. And Teresa, I would wholeheartedly agree with you. Where it's clear, we should first take scripture literally. Because it is a dangerous slope to take too many things allegorically. But let's just look at Mark 1, 14 and 15 here. It's on the bottom of your handout from Lee. And after John had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God, saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So this is what Jesus was saying about himself. And he was saying the kingdom of God is at hand. So my question for you is, was Jesus talking literally about himself, which yes, he is our king, but did he have a throne at that time? Did he have subjects? Was he a king in the literal sense when he said that? So he is, he is our king. He is currently our king in heaven, and someday he will be our king on earth as well, whether we're here or not. But the point I'm trying to make is even in this scripture here, if you were going to take it literally, the kingdom of God is at hand, you know, you could make the argument, well, where is his throne? I mean, Jesus humbled himself, lived for us, died for us. He is reigning now. He's reigning in our hearts. He is our king. But I'm just trying to make an illustration here how hard it is to take everything in Scripture literally. So just because a side does not take something literally and take something as allegorical, I do not believe means they are just having their way with the Bible kind of willy-nilly or as kind of as they see fit. Um, one other just point I'd like to make where why well, I think this is a minor, not a major. It's in Acts 1, starting verse 6. Sorry, I was open to Matthew. So Acts 1, verse 6. Uh, this is right before Jesus ascends into heaven. I read it in uh, Children's Church this morning because we're learning about the ascension. Anyways, therefore, when they had come together, they, the disciples, asked Jesus, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his authority, but instead you should argue and fight over when I'm going to return. No, that, that's actually not what he said. <laughs> but you shall receive power from the Holy Spirit when the... Or, Power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. So, the point I'm trying to make here is, it's important 
But I, I believe it is our primary job to spread the gospel of Jesus to those around us. Uh, we don't know the times. We, we can, through scripture, it's hard kind of get an idea of how he will return. But I think the emphasis Jesus told his disciples this is the last thing he told them. The emphasis was letting your light shine in the world and to spread the gospel. So for me, it's a minor. So anybody else? It's uh, getting late, just so you know. It's twenty minutes of six, um, which is fine. We can keep going, but I just wanted everybody to know we'd promised like five o'clock, I think, something like that. Matt, Marianne, do you have any thoughts? You do? Okay. One other thought: um, the impact it has. Yes, we are autonomous, and this church is has has our statement of faith one of the things i can ex- say from experience through the women's ministries through the northern mountain district and through the retreats is major or minor it does divide because at the last retreat in 2019 a woman spoke and she did a a seminar on end times and she was premillennial. And those in that group of women who have already got an established e-free church that opposes our stand and is all for the national, were in very much in opposition. And it was very obvious. And so, you know, this vote is already a given through the national, but I feel like there's nothing wrong with us as a church not having to be connected to all that. Because in the years, my sister-in-law taught VBS at a Catholic church, and my son came home with a jar of holy water and said, if I put this on my headboard, I won't have nightmares. I love my sister-in-law. And I said, in my heart, I'm not going to send my son to that VBS anymore. And it made me sad because even though we want to be all love, we cannot join together with every other church in every area. We just can't. And it's not because we're ugly or divisive or separatist. It's because I don't want my son to believe a false doctrine. And the Bible is very clear that there are going to be sheep or wolves in sheep's clothing. So rightly dividing is just our our job as a church and as a family and as believers. And so I will choose to try my best to study the word of God, attend Bible studies, try to discern. And over the years, I was six years in a Lutheran church. I absolutely believed in infant baptism till I started reading the Bible. And when I ask my mom, have you ever heard of the rapture of the church? Oh, no. We don't believe in the book of Revelation. That was Martin Luther's teaching. So, yeah, there's some really amazing people out there, but we still have to discern for ourselves and for our families and then become a family together and work together. That's just the way it is. And that's where we've tried to be in the 20 years here. And this is a big change. 
and it does impact our church family, and it will impact Dan and Lori as a decision. We'll follow it. We'll stand behind it. We won't spew, but we will make decisions based on where this leads, you know, just as everyone must. So we will continue to pray for God's guiding and leading in a what I see is in America is a great deal of compromise taking place, a lot of compromise. So therefore, we've got to be in prayer. And I know our pastor is a prayer warrior who's calling us to pray, so we should be there praying about these huge changes that are taking place. Okay. Um, does anybody else want to take a turn with this thing? Uh, I, I would like to just remind everybody that this church is not forced to accept um, the new statement of faith. Churches in existence are going to be able to keep the statement of faith they have. It affects the district because each district, which is made up of local churches, will have to adopt the new statement of faith as a matter of polity, basically agreeing with a national. Think of it as a car dealership. They can't very well tell Ford, you know what? I don't like that logo, taking it off, right? I don't like your warranty. I'm doing a different one. They can't do that. You would know about this, wouldn't you, Merritt? Okay. Um, The other thing is that um, we are not required to do anything um, with or without this change. However, if all the groups of churches in this Northern Mountain District vote 75% to reject this national um, decision, Um, we're going to basically be scratching our heads. Well, now what do we do? We could, um, one of the options is we could just appeal to the National Association and say, make a new district for us, and they will appoint some pastors from our churches that are staying in. Uh, We'll set up a different district. Um, It'll be just like before minus whoever left. So three-quarters of our friends would no longer be in our same district. Um, Another possibility is we could become a separate, standalone, uh, independent church, um, which I think Lee and Tim would say that's that's a difficult, dangerous road um, because the fellowship of the church memberships in the district is really critical. I I can attest to that uh, with my work in Rice because I saw how powerful that fellowship of pastors and churches praying for and supporting each other Um, held up that little church when it was under attack. And we've seen it too. We've needed Lee to come in and uh, not break up fistfights, but come alongside and encourage and get our heads straight, you know, like point us in the right direction. So, yeah. So um, there are some options out there. It's not like, well, the curtain's going to go black and they're all going to disappear if this vote gets opposed. But um, there's there's ramifications and we'll muddle through that. It's it's not the end of the world. I would just like to close in prayer, obviously. Is there anything else you guys would like to say? Yes, go ahead. Yeah, so there's a church district right now, right? And and so if this vote goes forward to oppose and, and reject the national decision to adopt the new statement of faith, right? Seventy-five, If 75% of the district churches... Colville and okay if 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 we disapprove of this this national decision this district will dissolve essentially the national association will say 
don't recognize you anymore. And so all the churches within that will have a problem because there's no district to affiliate with. I'm sorry, my bad. Yeah, so it takes 75% to approve it. Okay, thank you. Okay. All right, it takes 75% to approve it. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm very confused already. Started talking about car dealerships and I got sidetracked. Yeah, it is. Okay, so for 75%. Now, if the district gets dissolved or eventually is no longer recognized, then you could either become an independent church or start something with the other churches separate from the EFCA, or you could appeal to the EFCA and say, we would like to start another district up here or join some other district in existence. And, however, I'm not sure what that would do to our statement of faith, if we'd still be able to keep it. I think we would. Um, am I correct, Lee? So we would remain the same as an entity. It's just our affiliation with a different district, independent, or a new district, if we don't achieve a 75% approval of the national. Thank you, Don, for that clarification. All right. The, the district would not be recognized by the National Association, basically. So in the event that the vote is not approved.
Lord, I do pray that we would uh, approach you in particular with with humility on on this issue, Lord. These are these are heavy matters, Lord. We we love you, we love your word, we love your church. You love your church even more than than we do, Lord, and uh, we. We trust you, Lord Jesus. You said you would you would build your church. The gates of hell would not prevail against us. And you've told us, Lord, if, if any man, we'll, we'll expand that out, if any church lacks wisdom, ask for it, and, and you'll give it to us, Lord. We ask that in faith, that you would give us wisdom, that you would direct our paths, Lord. We acknowledge you in all our ways. Lord, I pray that uh, we would never become quarrelsome people, Lord, that we would have unity, that we would have humility, that we would be able to uh, discuss and, and debate with, uh, with love and, and with charity. We know that love is very important to you. That's, it's your very nature, Lord. So thank you Lord for for this church every every single member in this church every single person who attends Lord I, I thank you for them and I just ask that you would um, have your hand of blessing on each one and we thank you Lord for our district superintendent for his faithful service and we just dedicate this this church Lord every day to you In Jesus' name, amen.